0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Over the Farm Gate. I'm Farmer's Guardian Editor and AgriConnect Group Content Director Ben Briggs. And this week we take a look at the Nuffield Farming Scholarships Trust. Back in November, presenting scholars, Nuffield alumni and supporters of the organisation met in Cardiff for the annual conference. Despite having fewer presenting scholars than normal due to the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic had badly affected scholars' ability to travel it still provided a tremendously thought-provoking and inspiring few days and is something Farmer's Guardian was proud to be beat media partner for. So, in this week's pod, I speak to a range of current and former scholars to get their reflections on the event, some tips on how to make the most of a Nuffield scholarship and, most importantly, why the organisation remains so important 75 years on from its inception. So, in this podcast, you'll hear from Nuffield Judge and Northern Committee Chair, Joe Speed, winner of Best Presentation at last year's event, Theresa Meadows, new Nuffield UK Trust Chair, Wyn Owen, and first up, we have Allard Reese jones Allard won the John Stewart Shield for Best Presentation at the 2016 Nuffield Farming Conference and was a key player in organising the Cardiff event. Well, hello, Alad and welcome to the uh, Farmers Guardian uh, podcast. Um, we're obviously talking about Nuffield scholarships and, and reflecting on what was an amazing uh, event in Cardiff. I know that you were one of the, the lead organisers of that, and I just wonder if you could tell me about how how proud you were, really? I guess to to bring <laughs> Nuffield and all the alumni and everybody else to the uh, to the Welsh capital in Cardiff.
1: Well, yeah, I was uh, enormously proud and enormously relieved, I think in equal measure, because um, there's a lot of work putting on any event, in particular Nuffield Conference. And we we haven't really had a proper conference for some years now because COVID had an impact on things, uh, as as we all know. So, yeah, it was a really good opportunity. And um, together with my fantastic organising committee, we set out to set ourselves the challenge of raising the profile of Wales within Nuffield, but also Nuffield within Wales. So having the conference come to the capital city in Cardiff, and it, it normally comes to Wales once every 10 years, it's, it's a really good opportunity to not only showcase the very best about Welsh food and farming, and we managed to do that with the with the, with the menu on the, on the gala dinner in particular, but it's also an opportunity for us to increase the awareness of Nuffield within Wales. There's been a um, a lack of applicants from Wales. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why uh, in, in recent years. So we want to use the springboard and uh, use the conference, I should say, as a springboard to try and get more applicants from Wales to apply. And, and that's Exactly what happened to me. I remember the last time the Nuffield conference came to Wales in 2013. I was invited to go as a prospective candidate then. I applied the following year, managed to get a scholarship in 2015 and and, and the rest is history. So it does happen. It does work. And yeah, really, really proud. It was a record breaking conference in terms of numbers. We had over 380 at the day, over 420, the gala dinner, so um, the biggest numbers they've ever seen. And it was in a stunning venue in, in Cardiff City Hall. For those of you who've been there, I'm sure you'll agree it's a really uh, iconic uh, building in the heart of the capital city, and not only we had the, the fantastic speakers, we wanted to showcase a bit of Welsh culture, so we had Chordi performing uh, in the during the drinks reception, and they won the choir of Wales. So you know we pulled out all the stops, got the very best singers, uh, as you'd expect, and we had Nigel Owens at the um, giving the after dinner address. So yeah, it came together re- really well, and hopefully those who attended felt that they got a good opportunity to socialise, to mix, to learn, but also get a feeling, a sense of place. They knew they, they visited Wales, they had a good experience. So yeah, and I'm I'm very proud of all the work that my committee and, and the, the office team at Nuffield put in to to make it a humdinger of a conference.
0: I always think as a journalist that I'm um, very, very privileged to be at events like that. And when you see like you like you say, the the choir singing is uh, you know, if you're a fan of music, just to hear them singing in uh, in Cardiff City, always incredible. And and Nigel Owens, I know both you and I do uh, public speaking, after dinner speaking, but he was he was somebody who really he, he took us on a journey, didn't he? And I think he was massively inspiring in his own right, actually, on the uh, on the night. He, he was
1: and when we were talking about who should we invite to be our guest speaker and um, nigel was an, an obvious choice because he's um from a farming background he's farming now he's he's obviously got an international profile as a as a former international rugby referee known widely um and done so much uh, for, for, for for so many causes so he was a, he was an obvious choice and we I've, I've seen nigel perform several times and he's a very very competent and accomplished public speaker uh, and very, very funny. But he, I think for the first time, I thought I I really saw a sensitive side to him and he delivered such a powerful message in talking about the struggles he'd had with mental health and and his sexuality. And boy, I I really, I I sat back in that gala dinner and admired his skill for not only making us laugh, but also to have that uh, ability to make us cry. And it was um, such a powerful Speech that he delivered, and I was just—I was just—I was stood in the front actually. I, I was looking around the audience just to try and gauge the reaction. And he had over four hundred twenty people in the palm of his hands, completely absorbed by his performance. And um it was—it was quite something to witness. Actually, I, th- I thought he did a tremendous job, and he, he fully deserved the standing ovation he had at the end.
0: Yeah, yeah, quite rightly. Um... You, you mentioned before about um, being a, you know, you're a, a Nuffield alumni, um, 2015. I was just wondering if you could explain a bit about what you did your, uh, what subject you did your Nuffield on uh, and maybe what impact that Nuffield journey has had on you and your career.
1: Well, yeah, so I decided um, to do a on agricultural shows. There hadn't been many Nuffield scholarships on shows. I only know of one other that was done by a good friend of mine, John Henning from Northern Ireland. He did it back in, I think, 97 or in the 90s. So it was well overdue, I think, uh, an opportunity to look at shows again and compare some of the UK show, show um uh, formats to some other major international events and I spent a lot of time looking at state fairs in America so I thought there's a real opportunity to try and understand where um, where shows have come from and, and what's the future direction and not only was an opportunity to learn from other countries it was an opportunity to just try and reconnect with the origins and understand well how did shows come about in the first place and they all stem from societies that wanted to improve agricultural productivity it was by um, putting on competitions so exhibitors could identify superior genes in animals, so it's driving performance, but also to showcase the latest mechanisation and um, trends within agriculture. So very back to the the origins, the focus was on on farmers. Now you know you roll the clock forward 200 years or more. You know when societies were first established in the, in, in the in the um, middle middle of the 19th century. You you turn the clock forward you suddenly see that the focus is now increasingly on the consumer. So we're not only trying to champion the various highest standards in, in agriculture, you're also trying to bridge the increasing divide between town and country, connecting rural communities with urban communities. and trying to build a community of people that understands and values the work farmers do. So it was a really opportunity when you go to, to, to some of the state fairs in America, the amount of resource they put into educational initiatives was quite staggering, really. You had education pavilions, you'd have um, um, centers where there'd be a lot of school visits and you'd have even birthing centers, one of the one of the most interesting things that I think I saw the Minnesota State Fair was was a big birthing center where you know, you'd have animals induced to give birth during the state fair. I'm not sure how that would go down in this country, but it was incredibly popular. And you could even sign up for text updates and you'd be sent a text message if, um, uh, I, I don't know, Dolly the cow was about to give birth. So you'd, you'd rush over to the pavilion and, and witness um, the birth of that calf. But no, it, it was a real good opportunity for me to learn a lot more about the subject. And I think one of the thing things that it's, it's, it's had on me is that connection and and links to people that have been so supportive in my career since then because um i've recently um been appointed the chief exec of the royal welsh agricultural society and in preparing for that interview process i reached out to a lot of the people i met in my nuffield i spoke to people i I bumped into and became really good friends with in america i i I reached out to some people i know in 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 australia and, and south africa and i think it was my ability in the interview to draw upon that international experience and insights that really made a difference um when 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 i went for the job so it's it's certainly had an impact both professionally and personally I made some really good friends along the journey and and that's not a unique story every nuffield scholar you'll talk to will have those stories of the people they met and the impact they've had on them personally. So I know some people say it's a bit cliche, it's, it is a bit life-changing, um, but I, I generally think it is. It, it has given me in my career a huge elevation, I think, and um, I'm, I'm very proud of my enough field And being involved in this conference is, is is a small way in which I can repay that investment and nothing it gave in me, really.
0: I think that notion of it being life-changing and also the network it gives you is something that a lot of people talk about, actually, and it's, um, I think, any opportunity, I think that's got to be one of the the great ones f- for people to get involved, isn't it, to have that network and to, to maybe get that perspective and that wider perspective from a professional level but also a personal level as well ultimately
1: yeah very much so and often people tell me that um i'm not going to go for enough field because now is not the right time and my answer to each and every one of them is if you wait for the right time there'll never be a right time go for it make the most of it things will always be the same things will always be be fine so yeah i I always encourage people to try and take take advantage of the opportunity and yeah just, just go for it
0: and you, when you were doing um, your Nuffield presentation, 2016, I was one of the judges that year and you won the uh, John Stewart uh, Shield for best presentation. And I still remember it now. I'll, uh, I'll not just say this because you're on the podcast. I think the way that you presented it was, it was genuinely, um, it was it was wonderful. You had a, a presence on stage, but I'm always impressed by anybody. Uh, unlike this year's winner, Teresa Meadows, anybody who can distill all that learning into 12 minutes, I think is, uh, is remarkable. Uh, if you were to give any tips to kind of future um, Nuffield scholars who are presenting, what, what would that be? What would you, what would your top tips be for those who are gonna go on stage and present in front of several hundred people?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that's the hardest thing of the Nuffield um, scholarship is, is trying to deliver a 12 minute presentation on everything you've seen and heard and learnt. And that's, that's such a difficult thing to distill that into some key, powerful messages. And I was very, very fortunate. I did a lot in the young farmers movement. So I got a lot of practice in public speaking and I, and I quite enjoy it. And I think my, my top tip would be try and think about your presentation as a story. So you're trying to tell people a story, and that people are far more absorbed in something that is uh, not too heavy. It's you also got to find a style that suits you. I I rehearsed my my, my presentation quite a lot. I, I wrote it all out, but I, I delivered it in a way where where it didn't sound scripted. Uh, I think, I think that's very very important that you can have that confidence you know where you're going next and very very often the most rehearsed thing can 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 sound the most impromptu so um prepare well is is is, is fundamental so you know you're going to get the messages you want across don't overcomplicate the presentation keep it really simple we've all seen death by powerpoint use the slides as 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 an aid not not necessarily uh, to take over from what you're trying saying and in a funny sort of way try and enjoy it try and just soak up the moment and I um, one of the things I like to do is I always try to get a funny line in early on. Because if I, if you can get a reaction, a warm reaction from the crowd very early in your presentation, it, it has a really good relaxing effect on you as a speaker. And it also portrays a positive image across and, and, and the audience subconsciously thinks, I'm going to enjoy this speaker. He's already made me laugh or she's made me laugh. So I think getting a, getting a quick in early does, does help me from, from my perspective it might not help everybody else um and make sure you connect with the audience so use body language is important L- trying to work the room make eye contact with people use your hands to, to to emphasize a point so there's a lot about what you say but a lot of it is also how you present yourself and the way you hold your, your body and project your voice and some would like to be behind um, uh, a lectern. others would like to walk the stage. I don't think there's a right or a wrong, you've got to decide what, what's good for you uh, and I've seen powerful, you know, for example, in Nigel Owens, he delivered that in electric presentation behind a lectern, you know, and, and so so you don't have to own the stage and, and walk walk back and forth with a headless mic, you can do either either or. So yeah, rehearse well, enjoy it, Keep. I keep it simple. Keep it simple. I keep it to time.
0: No, I think you're right. I think the um, uh, the most natural um, it actually often comes unless you're one of those kind of anomalous people who can deliver something. Simply off the <laughs> top of the head, but more, they don't really <laughs> exist, at they? And uh, you know, I think the more you, I think the more you practice, the more naturally it does look. Because it's those moments, yeah. isn't it, when you're in front of people where you have, you have a moment where your mind might go blank, and if you don't know where to go next, you you sometimes yeah. you can panic and struggle. Whereas actually, if you've done that script a few times, you kind of understand and you can get back on track. That's what I always feel. And yeah, preparation is absolutely, uh, absolutely key. I think, well, absolutely. yeah. Well, Aled, I'd just like to um, thank you uh, for your time on the Over the Farmgate podcast. And, uh, and I'm sure I'll see you around and about very soon.
1: Brilliant. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Ben.
0: Welcome to the Over the Farmgate podcast, Joe. Now a week on from our time at Nuffield where we had the, uh, uh, the very important job of judging the John Stewart Shield uh, for best presentation. But I was just wondering if you could start really by giving me a bit of an overview before we get on to the judging process and how it was for us. <laughs> really, just a bit of an overview of your involvement with Nuffield over the years and, and how long you've been involved with the organisation.
2: Yeah, brilliant, thanks Ben. Thanks for inviting me today. Really look forward to chatting with you. Um, so, I am a Nuffield scholar. Uh, I did mine in 2008. Um, at the time, I was a bit of a foot geek, shall we say. Uh, so, my topic was on lameness in dairy cows, um, and I obviously went on to use it over the years with the Dairy Core Mobility Score and the um, Healthy Hoof Programme. So, I think Nuffield gave me the platform to go out and, you know, be confident with that platform and um, give back to the industry, I suppose. Um, And since then, uh, I've been the regional chair. So I'm the northern regional chair for about five years um, and I've been a trustee for three years.
0: And uh, it's not often that we uh, we talk to people about feet, actually, on this uh, on this <laughs> podcast. But when we were um... sadly, <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, we should do more of it. Uh, but when we were uh, when we were chatting in uh, in Cardiff um, last week, you you now work for Reverberate PR, but you've had quite a, a varied uh, and diverse career, haven't you? Uh, and I was just wondering if you could explain a bit about that, but also kind of like the role that that your Nuffield Scholarship played for you in that journey? Because, you know, for some people, it, 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 you know, doing an upfield scholarship is something that it kind of can transform their outlook and, and their careers and even their wider the wider lives.
2: Yeah, um, I think, well, I started as um, a herd manager, but being born in a, in a city, I was born in Sheffield, it wasn't that easy to get a foot in the door to do agriculture, actually. Um, This was the late eighties, a long time ago. Um, But I I did actually work as sort of milking cow roles, uh, assistant herd manager roles, which took me all over. I worked in Yorkshire, I worked in uh, New Zealand. Uh, My last job actually was in Portugal um, on a thousand cow unit. I was out there three years. And I came back and did my degree at Harper Adams when I was 30. And then I went into consultancy, so I was with Promar, I worked for HDB, um, and then latterly I was with Kites before I joined Reverberate. And I think what Nuffield gave me um, at the time, in 2008, was a platform to develop my technical expertise, so I kind of had my farming and herd manager practical skills and background, um, and then I'd done my degree, uh, and I think... I was always very interested in in feet at the time because I was a qualified foot trimmer in Portugal. And I think Nuffield gave me the confidence and it gave me the platform to kind of talk about that passion and share that passion with others. And that's very different for, for different scholars. You know, people have different messages and some people have a really personal journey. So it's a personal growth. Um, and some people grow their home business. And uh, Some people develop their careers in different ways. So I think Nuffield kind of gives you that platform, that baseline and the confidence to go out and do something different and, and shout about that passion.
0: And so you, you talk about that passion and how you communicate it. And communication was obviously one of the big things that, that we were looking for when we were judging the John Stuart Sh- uh, Shield um, at, the, uh, at, the, at the conference in Cardiff, which was won by Teresa Meadows. And I, I think both of us agreed that the thing that Teresa did was to really take us on a journey to show the impact really that the scholarship uh, had had on her, on her outlook and um, you know and and her discovery around around IPM, if you were. If you were going to give any tips, really, to people who are going to be presenting, I mean, next year they're looking at having up to fifty <laughs> presenting scholars because of the backlog um, over uh, over COVID. And I've said I I, I may delegate that authority. Um, but um, if you were to if you were to give anybody listening to this any tips on what what they should be, um, you know, looking to do when they're doing those presentations, what what would they be?
2: Well, I think uh, firstly we may need to clone ourselves next year, Ben. Uh, so we had I think we had nine presentations this year, uh, and next year there may be 50. So uh, that's the first action. Um, I think uh, presenting scholars shouldn't be afraid to be really honest in sharing their journey. I think the audience, um, you know, whether that's sponsors, uh, alumni you know, people thinking about doing enough field. They want to hear your story. They want to hear about your journey. And that's best of times, worst of times, you know, all in. And I think we were unanimous in our choice of Teresa because she very much shared that with us. She talked about the why, you know, why she herself was passionate about the topic, why it was relevant for the industry. Um, She shared her travels, where she'd been, what she'd learnt, what she found out, Um, And then in in the very short 12 minutes uh, of time that you have available, she also shared with us what she was going to do next. And I think that's very much what we were looking for. So I think for presenting scholars, you know, don't be afraid to share that journey um, because that's where your passion comes across and and the audience really get a feel then uh, of you uh, and of your topic, your passion and what you're going to do next.
0: Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's fair to say, isn't it, that we, we only had a really a handful of presenting scholars this year due to, you know, due to issues around travel because of COVID and everything like that. But the the standard was was exceptional across the board in what was a what was a really tough year. Um, I've been fortunate enough to to judge that um, award on on a few occasions, and it is incredible. But it is also a, an amazing skill that people have to be able to distill all that kind of information down. Into twelve minutes and to give it structure and to give it rigour and to, to imbue it with that passion and that is that is a really tricky it's a really tricky thing to do. Um, d- just on that point of international travel around an Uffield scholarship, you are obviously somebody who's who's travelled a lot, worked abroad. What difference do you think that perspective on on agriculture and life in other countries has has given you in, in your career?
2: I always think, um, and it's quite often a question that gets asked at interview, you know, why couldn't you just do a Google search on this? You know, why, why do you need to do a field? Why do you need to go off and travel? Um, and I think it's because of the opportunities you have um, within the framework of Field to have those conversations. And not being sort of narrow-minded within your topic, you know, I think Nuffield offers you the opportunity to be really open-minded and look beyond your topic. Um, and I think you just couldn't do that, you know, uh, on Google, you know, or perhaps even on Teams calls because the actual travel gives you that chance to speak to people and think, oh, there's another opportunity. You know, uh, they've got a contact in, in an another place in this country right I'm going to go over there and so it's just living and breathing your topic um and and also the context of the industry so whether you're looking at a horticultural topic whether it's agriculture forestry rewilding you know it kind of expands your mind beyond that it's not just your topic so then you can end with really big thinking um and I think that's what's incredible about in the field that you know you have the opportunity to do that you're not sort of operating within a tight format that restricts that you know it very much encourages that to get out there and have those bigger broader mind-blowing conversations
0: yeah i think it's really interesting i um i was chairman of the british guild of agricultural journalists and in 2015 we were out in new zealand for the international federation of ag journalists congress and uh, I should remember being sat on a on a hillside in the the North Island with uh, with the Bartons, a, a sheep farming family, and chatting with them about what the end of direct payments in New Zealand in the eighties mm. had meant, what that subsidy meant, and it was it was a light bulb moment, and I think that informs a lot of what we do at Farmers Guardian now in terms of understanding what the potential is uh, in a you know uh, an unsub unsubsidised sector, but also the massive massive challenges and that that lie ahead for for a lot of farmers over here so yeah I can speaking from personal experience I think it can give you such an insight can it into in, into the challenges that people have faced
2: and I think you don't know what you don't know dear. Do you? so you've got your kind of big nuffield title and topic but till you you know you go out and travel and meet people and have that experience you know you, you, you're finding you're having different conversations and finding out you know oh I never thought of that question or I never, I never thought of that viewpoint um and so it just it's just really mind opening isn't it
0: and and just um from your perspective obviously you, you you're heavily involved in uh you're heavily involved in Nuffield and and the northern region and I mean what what do you if you What would your advice to be to somebody if they were thinking of doing enough field, um, you know, if if they maybe had doubts about what it entailed, what would your advice to them be? And and what do you encourage people to do when you are in that interview process?
2: So I would say if you're passionate about something in your field of expertise, you know, whatever it is that's sort of rural land-based, then enough fields for you. I don't think there's a type of person Um, And it's as much about you as a person as your topic. So I would say, you know, go for it and pick the phone up um, if you know enough field or, you know, you've heard enough field speak. um, Pick the phone up and have a chat because it's most likely it is for you. Um, You know, there isn't a type of person, I would say. Um, And then there's very much a, a sort of mentoring support network to help you with your application so, you know, don't don't worry about anything around that. If, if you haven't done that before, or you've got any questions, you know, it's it, it's quite a sort of a supportive process to get your application in. Um, and then across the country, we've got a, uh, basically a group of regional chairs and we all run mock interviews. So it, it, you basically have a chance to have a go at uh, doing an interview and the types of questions perhaps that you might get asked in the London interview and I think that really helps people just kind of focus in on you know what the types of questions that are asked and the feel of the interview um so it very much sort of gets people on that pathway uh to to head into the London interview with confidence so I think I would say to people just go for it if you're thinking about it pick the phone up um and just go for it applications open in January um so yeah have a go
0: and I think that's a, a great place to end it. I think definitely uh, have a go. It is a, it is a fantastic organisation full of, uh, of really great people. And next up on the podcast, I'll be speaking to Teresa Meadows to, to find out, you know, what made her an award-winning scholar, but also what she got from it. So, Joe, thank you very much. And thank you, most importantly, for your, uh, your company in Cardiff uh, uh, back in November.
2: You're very welcome and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.
0: So hello, Teresa, and welcome to the Over the uh, Farmgate podcast. Um, obviously, the last time we met was on the stage in Cardiff in November, and you just won the, uh, the John Stewart uh, Shield for, for best presentation. And I was just wondering if you could begin by, by telling us how that felt, really, and uh, what, what your emotions were when you were on the stage in front of more than 300 people.
3: Yeah, what, what an honour and a real privilege to do a Nuffield scholarship is a huge honour in itself. Um, and to be awarded the John Stuart Shield in front of your peers and by your peers was quite amazing and a real culmination of that Nuffield journey, um, if you like, and, and actually the start, you know, the end of the of the beginning, if you like, in terms of having done the scholarship. And as I've gone through my Nuffield, you know, the last few years, I've realised just the power of, of how that will continue um, going forward. So, yeah, we had the very best of Welsh hospitality, didn't we, Ben? And an amazing, amazing honour and amazing opportunity.
0: And and obviously you, you've you've done your uh, your travels. You were looking at integrated uh, pest management. You were um, you know a really uh, kind of broad ranging topic. But then. How did you feel as a scholar trying to distill that down into 12 minutes on stage? Because I know, you know, when you do presentations on any issue, half an hour sometimes can feel like it's not enough. So to get it all into 12 to 12 minutes, how how was that challenge?
3: Yeah, um, a challenge, and I think with anything, it was amazing because of coronavirus. You know, I'd spoken to people online all around the world. I'd been able to travel um, in the UK when travel was allowed again, and then to the Netherlands, Kenya, and the USA. And I, I certainly went on that journey, and you, and that learning as you meet people and it challenges your your thoughts and your experiences. And so to be able to or to have to try and take people on that journey and and to kind of share some of those technical kind of findings, understandings of terms of practices and strategies and and then the conclusions and recommendations. There's a challenge, but equally, you know, it gives you a good challenge in that you have to be conscious of what you're saying and you've only got 12 minutes to say it and so that message is important and actually that's a good thing as well isn't it in the world we live in now where things are kind of bite-sized actually you know to say something succinctly is an art in itself isn't it that we we all get used to so yeah it was a good challenge but actually I did another presentation yesterday and it was quite nice to be able to go into a bit more depth of of some of the people that you met and the things you did and the farms you visited and organizations so yeah different ways of doing it.
0: And so, from your perspective, obviously you you talk about that that international travel when when it was allowed. It was, obviously, you were one of the scholars impacted by by COVID. But in terms of all the experiences that you had, are, are there any highlights that particularly will always kind of you know stick in your memory really from the from the people you met and, and those that you spoke to?
3: Yeah, um, so many, Ben, you know, it's just quite incredible, you know, to sit in the comfort of my home office, if you like, and speak to Vinod on a Friday night, you know, in Nepal before he went to his friends for dinner, um, talking about their plant doctors, as they called them, their agronomists um, in the rural communities of Nepal. Just the passion of people like Andrew Watson, who's a cotton grower in Australia that's trying really different things. He's kind of putting biologicals and using biologicals on his cotton crop um, and kind of growing the beneficials using that native landscape. Um, People's words that really stick with you. um, Joyce Gamer that I met um, in Um, Kenya that talked about the difference between regulatory IPM and voluntary IPM that then kind of really created a thread, you know, in in terms of how you ask questions. Um, And just people's openness and willingness to talk and host, you know, amazing to see the manufacture process of biologicals, to see huge cut flower production, um, to see or to learn about you know pesticides on airplanes and see the corn and soya you know that are still happening in the states and then the most regenerative kind of farmers and practices and and new approaches so yeah it's it's you know small scale to big scale macadamias and blueberries to tea and coffee and um cattle and yeah all sorts of kind of different people but yeah so yeah lots of highlights in in lots of different ways you know and from the experience
0: (laughs) And, and you mentioned there about that um, that balance between uh, voluntary IPM and uh, and regulatory, and that was one of the things that you spoke of. Within the presentation and within the questions um, afterwards as well, wasn't it, about your desire really for it to ideally be a voluntary approach um, going forward. I wondered if you could explain a bit more about that and also, you know, what you've taken from your your scholarship and and maybe the next steps for you in in terms of implementing it in, in your, you know, in the job that you do.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think we've seen, Ben, haven't we, you know, how the rules have meant we've had to change. So whether it's in livestock, you know, in trying to reduce the amount of antibiotic use or, or in the arable sector, you know, we've seen the loss of neonicotinoids, we've seen the problems with cabbage stone flea beetle, and then we've had to change as a result. And we have, and we've adapted and we're still growing our seed rape and we've still got healthy livestock. But I think for me, it's how we can work as farmers and as organisations, as the industry and DEFRA, and you know, in terms of how can we do that before we're pushed? You know, so what innovations do we need? What research do we need? What tools, you know, can we find? And how can we work together to kind of change um, before we're, we're pushed? And there's certainly so many different kind of practices and ideas that are out there um, that we can we can do and, and look at that. Um, I think for me... Uh, You know, and I went on a learning journey of what's available and it's just quite incredible what's happening in the horticulture and, you know, floriculture in lots of the livestock areas that we can learn from in terms of kind of thinking about how we can use that biological processes, how we can, we're thinking a lot about agroecology at the moment, aren't we? And how we can get nature working for us about soil health and plant health Um, and thinking in that way, you know, about encouraging, you know, that the healthy crop and the healthy livestock, and then hopefully being able to manage um, things as a result. So for me, um, there's some takeaways and and I've got lots to kind of think about and work about and people to work with, um, but thinking about how we, can learn more you know knowledge and education is a big part of it how we can kind of work with our fellow farmers with our peers with our kind of communities to to build that kind of practice of people that want are looking to change and and how we can do to work with our research organisations to think about more research and tools that are available and how we kind of can put our money into it. It was fascinating, Ben, in Kenya, um, in the Rose kind of sector or horticulture sector, they were looking for the next biological solution, whereas here we often wait for the next active or we wait for the kind of thing. And so what what can we do as a result? Um, Yeah, so kind of, yeah, I've got lots of different things and I'd like, you know, lots of ideas of different people to work with to see what we can do, you know, to build that voluntary approach.
0: I think it's uh, it's quite interesting because uh, one of your fellow scholars, Alistair Trickett, spoke about the, the challenge for kind of regenerative agriculture systems and the fact that that needs to be a bottom-up approach. It can't be top-down from a corporate level because you get disengagement from the farming community because they feel it's a diktat, they, they, therefore they, they don't buy into the principles. And it, And I got that impression from you that you, you feel that's very much the same with IPM, really, that you need that you need that engagement, otherwise it won't succeed.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it's about us all working together, isn't it? Some of the best ideas, you know, come from farmers, come from other kind of things. But equally, we need that research that's there. So we've got the evidence, we've got the tools, and we've got the support to kind of work with it. So I think it's about, you know, both and working together. Um, there was a real theme, wasn't there, in terms of that systems thinking, and you know, between a lot of our presentations, Alistair and Hannah's, um, myself. And, and I think that's it, isn't how... Where do we want to be? You know, we want to have... You you know, healthy, nutritious food. We want to look after environment at the same time, and and how can we achieve that? You know, what what ideas? Every farm's different, as we know. You know, what the practices will work on the farm with what the goals are. But how can how can the supply chain? How can our customers? You know, drive that as well, and and perhaps they can provide the economics and the incentives for us to to do that. You know, and, and to work to to try these new practices, and and that's a big thing, isn't it? Often. We can't do it unless we try it and and work out and start
0: there. Yeah, I I think you're right. And uh, yeah, that notion of of collaboration is absolutely key. And one of the things um, from a Nuffield perspective about collaboration that always strikes me is that, you know, Nuffield and the scholars seem to have their own kind of ecosystem, their own little community. Um, what have you taken away from that in terms of your other scholars? And, and what do you think kind of Nuffield more generally is, uh, you know, aside from just your scholarship, what else has it, has it given you?
3: people talk about the Nuffield family and I think I underestimated that when I applied you know you almost apply because I'd like to look into this kind of study and subject and I think one of the big things about that Ben um, one of the first things you do as a scholar is meet up with all of the other scholars from around the world um, normally at a conference that can be somewhere in the world um, and For me, that was fascinating because the things that we worry about in terms of engaging with our consumers or the return for what we're doing or climate change or, you know, food security... Everybody in the world was talking about that as well, you know, um, and the Australians were having the same problems as the Canadians, as the Brazilians, as as us, as the as the Germans, you know, and Zimbabwe, you know, and everybody was the same. And I think it's that connections and that shared learning and understanding, you know, and, and having being able to have that. And I guess um as a scholar a few years ago that said with Nuffield doors slam open, and I really like that, you know, and that was referred to a few times through the conference again. And and I guess Nuffield it's that. It's that connections, but not only in this country, it's that kind of expanding your horizons and, and being able to talk to people around the world and, and then being able to have those connections to bring that back to the UK, which in the essence is what Nuffield's all about. So, yeah, and they, they don't go away. After two years, that's now going to go forward um, for life. And I can't wait to visit people. There's Nuffield scholars in the outback of Australia or, um, you know, in Chile, you know, um vineyards in Chile that I'd love to kind of visit it. And, and to be able
0: to talk farming with them going forwards is is quite yeah unique. Um, also on this podcast, I'm I'm speaking to Joe Speed, uh, who was my fellow judge um, for the John Stuart Shield, and uh, Aled Jones and Win Owen as well about their experiences of, of it being in in Cardiff. Um, and I was just wondering, really, from your perspective, what advice would you give to to somebody? If they were thinking of uh, of taking up a, an outfield scholarship,
3: I'd say it's a it's an amazing thing to do, and I yeah recommend it to everybody. You have I think it's between twenty five and forty five that you can do it, um, so it's for people that are really looking, you know, to to travel the world to see what can be done, you know, in in various different ways as we found since coronavirus, and to take an idea and to be able to to go and explore that and it's a big thing to have that time out of your business or to time out of what you do to be able to do that but it's quite an amazing thing to do to to have that time and space to to really delve into a topic um and to do that. So I'd say um there's groups across the country that you can get involved in um, you know, and, and they'll tell you about how the application process works. Any Nuffield scholar would be happy to talk to you about their experience and what they got out of it and and how to go about applying. Um, it yeah, and just take advantage of that, you know. And if anybody wants to to talk about it, I'm I'm always here, you know. Just um, find me on Twitter or LinkedIn, and, and I'd be happy to, as as anybody would. But yeah, it's it's a huge opportunity, and and go for it. I um, say so you won't regret it at all, and and everybody will go on their own experience, but um, everybody absolutely loves it and the outcome.
0: Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's definitely about taking that opportunity uh, if you can. Uh, but, Teresa, thank you very much for, for your time. Congratulations once again on, on winning the Stuart Shield. It was very, very well deserved. It was a fantastic presentation. And, uh, and thank you for your time.
3: Thank you, Ben. Great to talk to you.
0: And now I'm joined uh, by Wynne Owen, who is uh, chairman uh, of Nuffield Trust UK. And Wynne, I mean, we're a a few weeks on now from what was an amazing event uh, in Cardiff. And I I just wonder what your reflections were really on the event and uh, how good it was to bring people to Wales. Yeah, I'm
4: glad you thought it was an excellent event because I totally agree, Ben. It was it was a bumper event, you know, fantastic turnout for the conference and the gala dinner. I believe we had 420 people for the dinner and something similar at the conference both days. It's also great to have some returning scholars presenting because, of course, post COVID, we, we've missed that for a year or so, uh, and. For me, as, as a Welshman and a past chair in Afield Wales as well, very much hoping for a, a bumper crop of Welsh applications as a result of the conference in Wales. And that often happens with Nuffield, irrespective of where it is, it raises the profile. And we said that, you know, bringing the conference in Wales, to Wales again, um, the conference was last in Wales in Cardiff nine years ago. And we believe that bringing the conference to Wales raises the profile of. Nuffield in Wales, and also
0: Wales in Nuffield. And obviously, you've had a, a long-standing association uh, with Nuffield. You're going to be chairman now for the next two years. Um, but I was just wondering before we get on to where you, what you want to achieve under under your time as chairman. Can you give me a bit of an insight into into how long you've been involved with uh, with Nuffield, and and maybe what difference it's made to to you personally and also professionally.
4: Mm. Yeah, so I was awarded my Nuffield Scholarship in 1998, which scares me to think that's nearly a quarter of a century ago. Uh, so uh, m- my background was uh, I did a HND Welsh Agricultural, Agricultural College, didn't st- r- stray too far from home. Came home and the fam- farming family business for 15 years, primarily sheep and some other bits and pieces, and then had always hankered to do Nuffield. Uh, and finally applied and got awarded one, as I say, in 1998. And and it, it totally transformed me in, in a way that I think only Nuffield can. Uh, and I would genuinely say it's one of the most important things that happened to me and certainly changed me most. It kind of give me that classic opportunity then to reflect to maybe realize I wasn't indispensable and I actually came home from six weeks in New Zealand through something totally different in fact within a month of coming home I'd got a job I'd realized that you know our business wasn't sustainable and viable and wouldn't be going forward and then my moment with Nuffield carried on from there I could really see how it had changed me um, Give me more confidence, maybe develop my leadership skill, give me different perspectives, uh, help me to network as well as give me access to this huge Nuffield network globally. Uh, and from then, I kind of over time moved to uh, become chair of Nuffield Wales. Then, as I said, to chair the Cardiff Conference uh, nine years ago. And I was subsequently invited onto the board to then become vice chair and now um, chair for the next two years, which I'm delighted and proud proud to be.
0: And can you just give us a, a, a bit of an overview of maybe what you want to achieve do, during your time as chairman, and and who will be your vice chairman as well?
4: So uh, I'm very pleased that Tom Rawson, um, uh, Yorkshireman, is my vice chair. He's a full-on scholar as I am. We have a very good relationship, and I think uh, the teamwork of the chair and vice chair will be key of of, of my term as chair, and very keen to involve Tom all the way along. We're scholars. Scholars. We really have a good relationship with the scholars. We understand the the whole ethos of being a Nuffield scholar. He, like I would say, has made a real difference to him and his business. However, we we are in a period of transition. So you know, globally, we're transitioning out of out of COVID. In the UK, we're transitioning out of Brexit, which has impacted farming as much as much as most industries. Um, And within Nuffield, we're currently um, transitioning directors So we've had an excellent servant in Mike Vesha for nearly 10 years. We've learned a lot from him. He's been excellent as a director and modernised the way we work and the way we do many things. However, he is going to step aside now. Um, We're looking for a new director. And I think the key thing for my term is to have that smooth transition. There's bound to be an element of uh, disruption with that. We're keen to keep Mike's experience in some way, uh, but that that's going to be the key role for my chairmanship is ensuring that transition because that'll happen in the middle of my chairmanship, which is deliberate actually. So we thought, well, we don't want the chair and the director changing at the same time. So it's just as far as we can, a steady hand on the tiller and a smooth transition across directors.
0: You mentioned there, about when you um, were a scholar you know, back in 1998 that you came to realise that that really you needed to to get a job outside of the farm as, as well as farming yourself. I mean, how important do you think providing that perspective is now at the current time? You mentioned it there, you know, uh, post-Brexit and um, direct payments disappearing. You know, in Wales, you've got owner estate uh, environmental regulations. I, I don't think uh, we have felt uh, the full impact, actually, of the COVID pandemic and the fallout from that and how that's changing uh, people's lives and, and how they work. So what what role do you think a, a Nuffield scholarship could play in, in helping somebody adapt to that future?
4: Well, fundamentally, we award travel scholarships. So it gives people in working in agriculture or in food or associated industries the opportunity to travel for at least eight weeks to see what's happening in, in other countries. And, you know, um, not everyone knows that Nuffield scholarships really started in 1913 when a young Englishman called William Morris jumped on a ship in Liverpool and went to see how Henry Ford was building cars. You know, and now we've just, we're 75 years into Nuffield Scholarship in the UK and we recently awarded our thousand scholar. And I've yet to come across anyone who said, well, I wish I hadn't done one of those. Everyone has done one says, you know, has a real impact. On, on their lives and also on their perspectives. So it's about, you know, about that travel element going out and seeing, and if I refer back to mine, uh, seeing how the New Zealanders were farming sheep, their positive attitude to everything. They were farming without subsidies. But for a long time after I returned, there were still a lot of Nuffield scholars and other scholars going to New Zealand and saying, you know, the New Zealanders are doing this. You know, the performance recording, the rotational grazing, the FECPAC testing, even 15 years down the line, we still weren't really adopting that in the UK. We are now, I think, you know, the writing's on the wall uh, over the horizon is that reduction in subsidies in harder times. And, and that's encouraging us to adopt all these new technologies, and that's an example from sheep farming, because it's because it's true across across all sectors. There's always something to learn, uh, and also when scholars come back, hopefully uh, it makes them better leaders in their own business, more more efficient leaders, you know, across the industry and also in their communities.
0: And and you mentioned before about obviously you know um, trying to provide stability at a time when when Mike Vaish is leaving. Um, do you, I mean if you were to look 10 years ahead where where would you like to see Nuffield at that point what would you would you like it to have an even greater impact on UK agriculture than it has now or or, how do you view it going forward?
4: I I think the nature of agriculture is changing and therefore the nature of Nuffield scholarships need to change a little I think we still need hardcore farmers, you know, guys with dirty wellies and girls with dirty wellies uh, that are farming every day. And we're keen to award scholarships. But we also, more recently, we have a lot several vets who've been awarded scholarships. We've had journalists, we've had people who are working in food uh, industries, people who are technologists. So th- there's an opportunity to expand there. But I think the, the core elements of travelling and meeting people and living and working in their homes and seeing how they do, do things uh, is fundamentally important. And I think, you know, if it's as good as we think it is, then maybe we just need to award more. So I think, you know, there, there are still a lot of people out there working in farming and, ag- and associated industries who haven't heard of a Nuffield Scholarship. And I think, you know, that that's that's part of our ongoing role. At the end of the day, that's what we're about. And it's part of the responsibility of all Nuffield scholars to encourage others to come along and apply so they can benefit. Uh, and I was talking fairly recently to, to John Alves, who's a past chair of Nuffield in the UK. And he said, what I love most about Nuffield is that uh, we rejuvenate ourselves. So even though we're all getting older, we keep on bringing 20 new scholars in all the time with the new ideas and the new enthusiasm. And you know, and he said, and I agree, that doesn't happen in a lot of other things we're involved in. We're the average age when we join, and 30 years later, we're still the average age.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think it doesn't matter what sector you're working does it whether it's the media or whether it's farming having that multi-generational aspect of support is just so key isn't it so you can trade ideas between somebody who might be 25 or somebody who's 65 if they have a bond and they can help each other i think that's such a key thing to be able to do yeah i
4: totally agree
0: Right, Wynn, well, thank you very uh, much for your time. As I say, congratulations once again on, on, uh, on an exceptional uh, event in Cardiff, and I will certainly watch your next two years as chairman with, uh, with interest.
4: Thank you very much, Ben.
0: A huge thanks to Aled, Joe, Teresa and Wynn for their time on this week's podcast. There is no doubt that Nuffield Scholarships have the power to change lives, and you can find out more about them at nuffieldscholar.com. Org. Well, that's it for this week. A huge thank you for listening, and please keep an eye out for future editions of Over the Farm Gate.